and this was one of the best years of my life. I don't know, because it's a music podcast, so I didn't, I didn't go that far. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I figured, you know, if it goes well, then that's because of me. If it goes bad, that's because of you guys. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> <laughs> you can bend behind the nut. You were just thinking of Babs Bunny. <laughs> this is a hot bunny, man. Bunnies could be hot. Club banger. Flam jam. Dude, you can't judge someone's personal life and their music, otherwise you wouldn't like Kanye. And Kanye's awesome. His music is awesome. He sucks. And now, see, I was going to the ball game, my buddy Tom, we couldn't play Zigzag Wiggle Wham by the new Ball J Boys. So close. Hey, and welcome to your latest weekly installment of Bass and Trouble. I'm your announcer, Doug. Let's introduce your hosts, Neil and Steve. Take it away, boys. Thanks, Doug. Welcome to the Bass and Trouble podcast. My name is Neil. And I most certainly am not. <laughs> uh, today's podcast, we're keeping these guest appearances coming. So let me introduce a dear friend of mine, Kara. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, Kara. Hi. Make sure to check out our most re- recent episode where last week we took some time out to talk about Weezer. I don't know why we took time out, why we put ourselves in time out to talk about Weezer, but whatever. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about Hall & Oates, which is way, way cooler. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> uh, yeah, it reminds me of, I don't know, 1979 Trans Am, big mustaches, hanging out on a yacht. I don't know. That's what I think of when I think of Hall and Oates. And after we end our Polo Sport commercial, we're going to talk <laughs> about the sucky song of the day, which sold 8 million copies worldwide and has over 360 million YouTube views. Still sucks. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's a good song. Honestly, I'm, that's, I can't wait for that. I'm really excited. We're going we're gonna to do a deep dive. A lot of people like it, but I think we're all in agreement that we don't. All right, so if you guys haven't already subscribed, then might as well get on it now. Uh, We're starting to reach the end of the season, so time is running out. Hook us up on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or check us out. We post some stuff on Facebook once in a while under Bass and Treble. So, Steve, like if they don't get before the last episode, they won't be able to decode the secret message, which is leading them to somewhere in the deep desert of Arizona to carry out our ultimate goal. By then, it's going to be great. Yeah, you got to jump on that now or else, you know, time is running out. Awesome. Well, this week, um, we picked the band that we've talked about. I want to say every episode, Steven, we brought up Hall & Oates in every single episode this season. We've at least mentioned it a lot of times. And weeks ago, we said we're going to do it next week. And then, you know, Radiohead got in the way. The polar opposite of this band. We were like, right. yeah, let's run Oates now. You know what? Let's do Radiohead. That sounds just about the same. So Daryl Franklin Hull and John William Oates, you know, these guys, they pack a lot of nutrition in their names with Hall and Oates. (laughs) Also, who the hell knew it was spelled that way? Kara, could you tell me your best guess of where you think Daryl Hall is from? Pennsylvania. Wow. All right. I was looking further back in his roots with that weird spelling. I'm thinking maybe Scandinavian. Is that a Scandinavian spelling? H-O-H-L? His, you know origin i mean i don't know i mean he does have that light hair he can definitely be scandinavian he looks like he comes from a long family of piano tuners yeah sure i'll go with that (laughs) i think he's cool he's definitely cool and he's generally the lead vocalist vocalist for this band which uh he definitely has a great uh i just want to sing to this entire podcast he's got his voice is butter to me you know i was really kind of disappointed when i found out that Hall was the lead singer because Oates is the one with the mustache. In my eyes, he is always front and center. That mustache, like, is everything about this band, and I figured he'd be the front man, but I was sadly mistaken. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's, I, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't read through the notes, so I might be going off. <laughs> here. Do it. There's no rules here. There's a couple things I want to say. Sorry, I'm just, like, butting in here. First of all, this is extremely professional. And I was not prepared for it. <laughs> Kudos to you guys for that, number one. Number two, I don't know if there's a place where we're going to be talking about their image. Image, you know, they're... All throughout. No, back and forth, front and back. These guys are all about image. I mean, if that's not the greatest, best 
of like hits CD, like whatever. <laughs> I don't know. What you, I don't know what the kids call it these days, but that is like iconic and amazing. What the album cover, like artwork of their greatest hits. Yes. That. Yeah. <laughs> just, just their images. Have you seen that one album cover where it looks like they're wearing entirely way too much makeup? They look yeah. really pale and they have like a lot of blush on like I guess they were cool in the day. That was a little off brand, to be honest. <laughs> now I don't know if that was like the right move, but like I like the popped collar, the chest hair, the tank top, <laughs> the bands. That's the look. Riding around in your trans am, like yeah, that's that's what these guys did. Yeah. They represent FM radio to me in so they many ways. They represent the cheesiest parts of the late 70s and early 80s pretty much but in a great way and then you have john william oates which what a name he <laughs> plays the electric guitar and does a lot of the backing vocals and can i tell you when you talk about frontman, i'm pretty sure that john oates is 411 kara you could explain that to us a little later on but the <laughs> point of this is that when it comes to his guitar playing i have never seen someone treat a guitar like that other than prince where Wait, he kind of like He's just so into it. Like he's like using his, guitar. yeah, he's way right. too, he's got that really good uh, guitar face. Remember how Steve, you and me always talk about how John Mayer has horrible guitar face. It's the it's worst. The, it's the worst. Like John Mayer, cut that out, dude. Take acting lessons or something. John Oates does not have that bad guitar face. He exemplifies good guitar face. And that's all I have to say. I, I can't tell if he's making weird mouth faces because the stash is always in the way. It helps his fingers. Okay. And where are these guys from? No. I thought, okay, that's why I said Philly at one point. You know what I said at one point a few podcasts ago? I said they're from Detroit, and I was wrong, because apparently I don't know that Philly and Detroit are two different places. Well, you know what? That's fair, first of all. Second of all, I mean, um, I don't – are they both from Philly? Yeah. Yeah, they both grew up, like, they were young when they met. Back in 1970, I think they were, like, teenagers doing the Battle of the Bands deal. And they were in, like, I know they're in different bands, but I, I don't know that much about them. <laughs> Let's wait. By the end of this podcast, you're going to be an expert. We all will. <laughs> like, I don't know their backstory. Like, how did they meet? Oh, we could dive right into that. Yeah, yeah, and before we do, just keep in mind that these guys will have a playlist up on Spotify. I could name you so many of their songs as we go through the tracks they're just so memorable but keep, keep a lookout for that on spotify so to jump right into when at first they met they met at the adelphi ballroom in philadelphia sounds like the uh the place where a lot of crimes were committed by the mafia back in 1967 <laughs> there was a big battle of the bands keep in mind though this was at the height of the vietnam war well as we mentioned you know they're you know heading up their own band carol hall and was in the temp tones, which is very interesting. And John Oates with the masters. But who gives who cares about that? This is leading up to how they met. Guys, what were they singing though? Hold on, time out. The temp tones and the masters, what are they singing? Like gospel music? Or is this No, like it was almost like a like Motown-ish, very like R and B-ish, but also really mellow. Like in the you know like mellow sixties music? Like the kind of stuff your parents would listen to when they fall asleep and stuff like Cap a keg to at a party. Sure. Yeah. I, I listen to some of these guys early albums and they are way too chill and mellow, but it's what you'd expect from like 1970. This is a very romantic story because it's like, here they were in two other relationships, just crossing paths, you know, at a seventies nightclub as all great romances start. And then a gunfight. Oh, <laughs> wait, what happened? <laughs> Plot yeah. twist. This is where the story gets interesting. So before either one of them went on stage, there was a gang fight at the Adelphi Ballroom. <laughs> is going on? Extremely romantic. I mean, it actually is romantic because it reminds me of like that scene from Scarface. There was a gunfight there, but you know he was there with his lady. Love prevailed overall. But at the same time, guys, let's talk about these two bands that I'm assuming look like greasers. All of a sudden, there's a gunfight. This is really intense. It was like two high school fraternities, basically. They were like gangs with Greek letters. City of brotherly love, my ass. What the hell's going on in Philly in 1967? That's what I'm saying. It was like the Vietnam War and like racial tensions. Like it was a very rough time to be around. And you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
boom, gang war right in the middle of a ballroom during the Battle of the Bands. Talk about war. We're not very pro-war on this podcast, guys. And two members of the Masters, which was John Oates' band, <laughs> were drafted into the Vietnam War. Talk about sucking. Like, you got a band, and it's like, hey, we got a gig next week. Actually, no, going to boot camp. Oh. When the gunfight rang out, everybody hit the floor. Paul and Oates, they ran for the service elevator, and they met in a service elevator during a gang fight just to escape the ballroom. <laughs> I wish we could see Kara's face right now. She's like, guys, I told you. This is legit. This is really how it happened. They met in a service elevator and became one of the most prolific, amazing duos of all time. Yeah, they're like, hey, you listen to good music. Hey, you play good music. Why don't we, like, get together? What was that moment? Ugh, what I wouldn't give to be in that space elevator. Yeah, so then they realized they both went to Temple University. They started hanging out together. They both they, played a pickle, they, pick up ball at the local Y. They like to play racquetball on Saturday afternoons. <laughs> and they were like, you know, let's let's give this a go. Like where they wore the same mascara. These guys were ahead of their time. I love they this. They moved in together. Their their mailbox said Hall and Oates, and they're like, hey, there's our band name. But shout out to the corporate structure of white America adapting what is kind of more amphibious creatures in Daryl Hall and John Oates. Yeah, like they, they were very, you know, they're trying to follow that same kind of, uh, I'm thinking of Bowie vibe, right? I could tell these guys were definitely into Bowie. So okay. they have that kind of similarity of let's be a little more loose and, and frilly in our clothing and style. But then, you know, you got guys like, uh, you know, what's the, I didn't even, I don't even know, Glenn. So you got like guys like Glenn Gouria. Well, I think they were like, obviously, like they were, it was like David Bowie and like, you know, Miami Vice. And they were like, you know, let's just like, let's do this. Let's lean in. Mash it up. And then let's write like the most romantic ballads. <laughs> my favorite song is going to surprise everyone. And for the reasons why it's my favorite song of this band, because I realized after listening to a bunch of mu their music for this podcast, I'm like, I yeah, love that song. I know that song. And then this one song came on. I'm not going to ruin it. And I was like, the beat in this song and the theme of this song no, who the hell does this? Like, it's very... Anyways, I'm not going to spoil it, but Kara, why don't you tell us about their first manager, which also had a song written about him and sounds like he uh, was extremely Italian. Time Matola. Time Matola. One of my people. I love it. So he was their first manager, and uh, who did he marry, Kara? Kara, let's talk about this. He was um, Mariah's first husband. What the hell is going on? married to mariah carey i don't know if anybody's heard of her she's on the next podcast but... fucking 100 years old he's like he's managing these guys in 1970 this is like wait is this like a weird celine dion thing like... mariah carey with her five octave voice needed to work up no ladder okay my friend no then i cannot explain tommy matola's aside from that hey, i would just love to be sitting next to her for a while even in her old creepy way right now she really oh. does she has a thing about her now i think well i think it would be a little bit like scary and frightening but wow. <laughs> she has a lot of thoughts on holidays what yeah. if she met you and showed you all octaves every time that was like her thing she meets you and she's like oh hey Chris, nice to meet you oh, oh, hey! <laughs> like, cool. that's called a dream come true but um i would certainly welcome that it's only when she got like really weird that you know i love mariah carey <laughs> So then she went on to marry who? Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon. I don't, you know, who can explain that? How do you go from like the owner of Sony Music to Nick Cannon? That's kind of. She also, I mean, dedicated a song, like wrote a song about Eminem. There's a lot of questionable things that happened to Mariah. Wait, what? That's a rock fact. Kara's busting out the rock facts early in this pod. All right. Now, Steve, why don't you go over this band's discography? All right. I'm going to throw a bunch of stats out here. I hope you guys are ready. Sure. Ready. All right, so they're the most successful duo in pop rock history. We know that much, but here's why. They sold over 80 million units worldwide. They had over 20 top 40 hits. Six of them hit number one. They had seven platinum albums, six gold albums, and they were also big in the UK. They spent 117 weeks on the top 75 and 84 weeks on the top 75 singles chart. So I know that that's a bunch of numbers, but basically it just goes to show that these guys were 
top of their game. Hell yeah. They're pretty good, you know? Yeah, pretty good. So how about they start their career with a good old wholesome album name? Whole Oats. I wonder where they got that from. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, really funny. And not a really a lot of songs that I remember from Whole Oats. Um, no, I listened to it the other day. It is like early 70s love ballads. Like take Elton John's slowest song and like, yeah, that, that's what these guys did. Like, you mm. remember James Taylor? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Very similar to early Simon and Garfunkel. Just very really? slow. Yeah. Not what you'd expect from these guys at all. Miles away. And then 1973 hits, and let's talk about Abandoned Luncheonette. Wait, hold on. Um, yeah, what, what's up with that song having that, uh, it's got kind of a cool, I'm trying to think, like a Stevie Wonder vibe to it. Like that kind of slow it down. That's the, that's the Motown influence. Yeah. yeah. I really like that. You know what else about this song um, or this band that I got to throw out? I'll throw it out early and how it's relevant. So I feel like this band knows that people made babies to their music. Whereas uh, Barry White was quoted as one time being interviewed or he was interviewed once by, uh, what's her name? Barbara Walters, right before he passed away. And she's like, how does it make you feel to know that, you know, people make love to your music? And Barry White's like, well, I don't know about that. I didn't really write this music. People make love to it. I'm like, what is going on, Barry White? What did you write it for? <laughs> like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like Hollow Notes knows that they're writing music. One on one, like, yep. I think they know. Adult education. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they were good with the window. I that eyes were watching you. Yes, they Ooh, are. That is, that is crazy. What is right for me? so then they had war babies which <laughs> sounds like um i don't know that sounds like a, a heavier album i can't picture it being heavier yeah, it's a band that was born in a gang fight <laughs> yeah sure sure yeah no that's really funny and then um right after that man back to back hold on a second i'm looking at the discography these guys put on an album every year yeah, for like the first 11 years, from like 72 to like 84. That's like unreal. I mean, I feel like that's a testament to like that time and those types of artists back then. They were just like, didn't, weren't doing it, I think, for like, you know, to top the charts. But it's like they wanted to put out good music and like make the rounds. You know what I mean? I like that you say that, Kara. That kind of leads to my next point that I feel like these guys played large venues, but they also even when they were popular, could play a pretty small venue and make it like the sexiest thing ever. Like I would not be surprised if their average show lasted like an hour and 15 minutes. But like, like they just walked in kind of late and were like, she's gone. Just w- walked out. So I think they had more time is my point. They weren't like Led Zeppelin that was, you know, traveling 15,000 miles and, you know, taking cocaine and speed and chugging it down with Jack Daniels. Like those guys have hard lives. I feel like these guys would be, you know, the, the heaviest they get would be, you know, smoking a little cigarette, sipping a little whiskey. Like, I just, I get a feeling they were not the hard partying type. I feel like they probably could do this every year because it was more like, uh, they really are like an old couple. They're like the type of band that like you want to walk in like any bar that has like music and like hear playing. I'll stay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's that. So let's talk about Sarah. Smile. Oh my God. Hey guys, this is a, song to me because I would put my own name in it. That's who I am as a person. Um, Cara. puts their own name in songs, but uh, you'd be surprised how often Steve fits into just about any, th- any song. So wait, in 1975 <laughs> this album had a re-release of She's Gone that got up to number 7 on the charts, pop charts, and then Sarah Smile got up to number 4? That's intense, man. That's That's a really, really good release to top 10 song. She's gone came out like a few years before and it only made it to 60. And then they're like, let's try this again after Sarah smile. And that's when they had broken it open. Pretty that's money. when people were like, Oh, I know these guys now. Oh, won't you smile a while for me, Sarah. 
1976, uh, I feel like this album title has the most, that's what she said to it, bigger than both of us. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so uh, Kara, give us your take on, on this song and what it means to you. Uh, ritual, I mean, just the way it starts and just, you know, that kind of like acoustic kind of vibe. And it just like builds and builds and builds until you're just like, you are that rich girl. (laughs) You're not ashamed. You're okay. It's, you know what? That's what you want to (laughs) be. Well, you know, it don't matter anyway. This song reminds me of the song that I usually hum Roxy to sleep or sing her to sleep to, which is uh, Wild World by Cat Stevens. This is like the electronic version of Wild World. That's a good lullaby. Tiffany hates that I sing that to her. She's like, why would you sing that to her? I'm like, I don't know. It's got a pretty tune. She's like, yeah, but it's talking about not being brave. I'm like, no, it's literally saying the world sucked. Yeah. I don't know. I should probably teach her now. She grows up. She'd be like, my dad was honest. That's kind of suck. (laughs) Seriously, though, still on radio, they leave the whole like rich, rich, bitch, girl, whatever he says at the end. All all funny. Um, But I don't know. Their songs, and this will come up later on, but I feel like their songs are very like... um, I don't know. They're, they're, they're male-driven themes, but they still put the woman in a position where she's making her own moves. Steve, talk about 1977, which... What is up with these album titles? These all sound like they could be, you know... Uh, Women's colognes. Um, yeah. LA. 77, 78, 79. After this, they're just like, oh, we're just going to throw out a few albums over the next few years and nobody is going to care about them at all. Well, then they, they came back with Voices, 1980. And this is when they came out with a lot of songs that everybody loves. Yeah, for the next few years here, they were in their prime from like 80 to probably 84. They kept cranking out albums every year, but on Voices, they did a cover of You've Lost That Love and Feeling, which was pretty close to the original. Hang on, hang on. I have a karaoke story. So I was in New York City. I was in New York City. So it's very relevant to you guys. I was in New York City, and we're with a bunch of people. And, you know, I come visit you guys. I see you guys. And before I was seeing you, Kara, I just come visit Steve. So I know New York. And, like, I never want to go to, like, the the touristy places because they suck. So I was like, let's go somewhere else. Like, this is annoying. But, of course, with a bunch of people, and they're like, let's go to Times Square. I'm like, So we go into this karaoke bar. And, I mean, I can – I'm not going to say I'm a great singer, but I can really sing. And this – one of my team members, one of the guys I'm with is like – he's like, oh, let's do a song together. And I was like, okay, you want to do You Lost That Loving Feeling? I'll do, like, the high parts. He's like, yeah, sure. And nice. he sucked. You got to be careful with your karaoke partners, man. Dude, it was a complete train wreck. And I'm like looking at him like, why did you do this to me? Because I'm still going, <laughs> and like you're still over here like, hey, you love, hey, you love. Oh, no. <laughs> it was awful. I just want to like piggyback onto that and say that I am Cameron Diaz from my best friend's wedding. That's how I do karaoke. <laughs> It really is painful and hard for other people. Oh. I just, you know, want to put that out there for your next story. Two words for you, girl. Shania Twain makes anybody sound good. Um, you know, I do. I don't really have a go-to karaoke song because by that point, I'm, you know, if I'm actually like ready to do karaoke. I won't remember it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, I've never seen you do karaoke. You should. I feel yes. like Steve does great Beastie Boys. I would die to be like, throw it on, like Deep yeah. Track Steve. Paul, Paul Revere is my go-to. Like, I know I can't sing. Like, I can't hold a tune, but I can rap. You I got the rhythm, though, Steve. That helps. I say, like, Steve would come out with, like, Bone Thugs, and we'd be like, what happened? Like, yeah. Something wild. <laughs> I live in Cleveland, guys. Bone Thugs is very relevant to my <laughs> life. <laughs> I could do maybe some first of the month. I was just going to say that. Yeah. We having a wonderful day. Yeah. And the also on voices, wait, did we get off track? We've got kisses on my list, which uh, is such a cute song. I mean, come on. Right. So if we talk about yacht rock for a minute. Oh yeah. I went to yachtrock.com as part of my research 
And out of 13 Hall and Oates songs, this scored the highest on the Yachtsky scale. I have a lot of questions for you that are unrelated and <laughs> your mental health, but later. <laughs> Man, you really brought it for this research, Steve. Well, let's talk about that because that song is really cute, but it also has a really cheesy 80s guitar solo. I mean, that's really, really corny, but love that song. Um, and then are we going to get this far, Steve, without, do you have it somewhere in here? Editor's note. But are we going to get this far without talking about how jealous I am that you got to see them play You Make My Dreams Come True? Because you were there. You were in person. You got to see them. Twice. I mean, some of the best intro work on keyboard ever. Picks me up every time. Oh, I know. That's just, that gives me chills. Have you guys ever seen the movie 500 Days of Summer with like Zoe Deschanel? Yeah. A scene in this movie where he finally gets to sleep with the girl of his dreams, who also happens to be the girl of my dreams. And after he leaves her house in the morning, this song starts playing and it's like a complete, what do you call it? Like a collage, diorama. What's the word I'm looking for? Montage. So he's walking down the street and it epitomizes how you feel the day after you slept with the girl of your dreams. Like all these things happen to him. Like he checks his reflection in the car window and he sees like Harrison Ford winking back at him like Han Solo. And like he's walking down the street, strangers are randomly giving him high fives. Like flash mob breaks out, which I think was just very 2009 at the time <laughs> the movie came that. out. <laughs> yeah, somehow he's just walking down the street. He ends up with a bat in his hand and he hits a home run and the crowd goes wild. And like high school marching band comes out of nowhere and starts playing for him. And like this little animated Disney bird lands on his shoulder. It's like all the things that happen to you. It's exactly how you feel like the morning after you sleep with the girl of your dreams. And they just, this song is playing in the background. It just sets the stage perfectly. Yeah, that's, that's really intense. And also um, like the candle feeds the flame. Come on guys. Who's who writes that? As a writer, I wish I wrote like 90% of their songs because I mean, just Enough with all this good lyricing. Then in nineteen eighty one, um, let's talk about Private Eyes. Oh my gosh! So this of these two songs in nineteen eighty one for the album Private Eyes, you got the self title, which went number one. They also had um a, another very much favorite of mine is i can't go for that which is probably their cheesiest song with the no can do but it is uh definitely my favorite song on this album top three because of a saxophone solo and not just any saxophone solo yeah. a one that you can dance to like it goes so good with the beat like mid-stride you're like beanie 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 yes really get the neck going i mean what does their bass player make every year? Like, I want to know who their bass player was because you know yeah. that guy. He he was a monster. Their songs always were on beat. It was like made by angels. Played the um, electric, whatever. What's this called? Wait, how does Private Eyes go? Kara, do you know how that tune Private Eyes go? Because I I always confuse it with the Eagles' lying eyes, and I'm like, no, that's not what this sounds like. I know how like. it goes, but I mean, remember what I said about Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to put you on the spot. In 1982, well, Maneater, hello, defined a generation, still defining generations, Maneater. And <laughs> I'd like to be classified as one. I'm not one, unfortunately, but I wish I was. <laughs> Let's just talk about how it op that song opens on this album in 1982, H2O. She only comes out at night. What the hell? Is she a vampire? What the hell's going on? This girl. Yeah, she's like a monster. She's like out of a horror movie. She's an inspiration. <laughs> so this is my number one favorite song of theirs after a lot of understanding of their music over the last uh, week of just listening over and over again to their, to their songs. Because again, it's empowering her. You know what it's like? It's like a, yeah. it's like a, a Martin Scorsese movie where you start cheering for the killers. It's like you want the mob win, you know? Yeah, you really do. It's like they're cooler, they're funnier. 
and she'll, you know, she'll slit your throat. Uh. I think it was also revolutionary for the time to really like see women in that way as like, you know, treating men like a piece of meat, you know? About time. I mean, we had our, we, we, we've had our run. It's time to, it's time to flip the script a little bit. I also think it's funny that Maneater transitions into one by one on So Steve, what did you love about the song One by One? Nothing. Neil knows this, but Clara, I can fill you in about <laughs> me and falsetto. Falsetto has no place in music ever at all. Excuse me? You know, like when they sing in like the super high register <laughs> and dudes use like really high voices. I know what it is. It's terrible and it doesn't belong in music, period. I, I believe it has its place, <laughs> Steve. Yeah, its place is in hell. One on one, he just sings the entire song in that high register and I don't want to hear it. And then you got Family Man. So what? Three top 10 tracks on one album. That is some serious pop. And that's their 11th. Wait, hold on. Time out. That was their 11th album. Wow. That's that's crazy. Like, seriously, though, let's, let's talk about this. They were pretty successful. But after 11 years to come out with an album with three hits, not too many people do that anymore, ever. I mean, they had some dark ages in the late 70s. They put out like three or four albums without anything worth noting. Right. But then, yeah, from like 80 to, I don't know, 83 even, they were yeah. they were kicking it. And like not resting on your success at all. Just keep, keep going. And it don't stop there because in 83, they came out with Rock and Soul. It's like a compilation album, but even that had two top 10 hits on it. Say it isn't so. That's, Which is very similar to a Weezer track that we just talked about last week. Say it ain't so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see the similarities. Um and then 1984, Big Bam Boom. That's got a weird kind of Fred Flintstone vibe to it, but okay. Uh, had a number one hit on it as well, Out of Touch. I'm out of time. Yeah, song is very 1984. That's like, that song and CPUs go hand in hand. Yeah, good one. Love it. <laughs> Four years later, they came out with Ooh Yeah. But yeah, at this point, they faded. Like, Ooh Yeah had a number three hit called Everything Your Heart Desires, but I haven't heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, and so we'll just skip right past these four albums, naming them only, singularly, 1990, 1997, 2003, 2004, Change of Season, Marigold Sky, Do It For Love, and Our Kind of Soul. Before 2006, they triumphantly return with a Christmas album. (laughs) It's really underrated in so many ways. It's a great album. (laughs) Home for Christmas sounds like a... What's that channel with all the depressing movies? Hallmark. Hallmark. Yeah, like Lifetime Hallmark movie. But it, I feel like that's the kind of title where they bring back every year with new people and a new story and nobody notices. <laughs> <laughs> Home for Christmas 2019 is totally different from Home for Christmas 2020. Then <laughs> like, Lucci is like always the mom. <laughs> that's right. They always have her everywhere. Uh, also, the lady from uh, the girl from Full House. What's her name? Um, she's like in every single one. And I'm like, Tiffany, she's back. Like. She's back on the TV. How did this work? Yeah, Becky. Yeah, but Aunt Becky, no, she's in jail or trying to avoid jail. Actually, not any movies anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> even better than whoever's on it. Um, question Do you know who Maggie Rogers is, Kara? Oh, we're back on that again. <laughs> uh, she, she's, she's a pop singer. She has a bunch of new pop songs. Okay. Do you know who Nicholas Sparks is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was asking Steve a couple podcasts ago. I was asking Steve, I'm like, yeah, I think Maggie Rogers, who's kind of like this contemporary poppy kind of really like silky vibe. I'm like, I think she'd do some Nicholas, really good soundtracks for Nicholas Sparks. And she goes, who's Maggie Sparks? And I lost it. I'm like, dude, how did you take one and the other? I've never heard of any of these people before in my life. <laughs> oh, it was a moment. Um, anyways, sorry, Steve. Steve, watch The Notebook tonight. Learn something. No, I was fully planning on it. Like, I'm just going to save the rest of my night just to cry. Steve (laughs) never takes a movie recommendation. I think you took a movie recommendation from me maybe like once in the past year. 
and you yeah, said the troll movie. Yeah, you like told me you watched it, and you have no idea the amount of joy because I can tell Steve to watch something five hundred times. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll get right on it. Never gonna yeah, watch it. Tour, actually, I, you push that and push that and push that, and I finally said, all right, let me check it out. I was not disappointed. I have to give you credit. Yeah, the music was good. The music was decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah decent. So afterwards, all this, Steve, why don't you go through all of their side projects, which I guess after 2006, they branched off and to do their own solo work. Yeah. So Daryl Hall did all sorts of stuff. Like his first solo album came out in 1980. And then these guys, remember We Are The World, where like everybody who was cool in the 80s got together for that song? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah these guys were there for that. They did Live Aid. And then Daryl Hall was on an episode of Flight of the Concords. Do you know how much with, I love that show, Steve? It's hilarious. I love Flight of the Concords. So much fun. He played an MC of a world music festival. <laughs> That's funny. I'm going to have to go back and check that out. Um, they could have just kept it to one season, though. I feel like season two was just fluff. But 1980, time for me to have my own solo album at the peak of our powers. That's kind of yes. baldy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like, yeah. But he was, I feel like he's more the songwriter in the band, really. Like he plays the keyboard, he kind of controls that whole element. Mm -hmm. I'm the one doing most of the lyrics too. Mm -hmm. You guys remember live from Daryl's house, that show on VH1 for a bunch of years? No, no. I honestly don't even want to lie. No, so he all right. So he has this gorgeous house in upstate New York, and he made his own like studio inside of the house. And he would just have all these like A-list guest stars come on and just mess around and like make music with them like on the fly. And he had like the the dude from Goo Goo Dolls. He had CeeLo Green. He had Smokey Robinson, Joe Walsh, Cheap uh, Trick. That's so like Jerry Seinfeld of him, you know, like <laughs> yeah. yeah, like ahead of its time. You know? Yeah, the show was on VH1 for like five years, and he just kept bringing in cool people and making music with them, just chilling out at his at his home. Way to go, Daryl. Man, Steve, we always end up getting like a VH1 or a MTV reference, and like. Those, aren't those things, haven't they been shot dead? Like, they don't make music videos. They don't promote music. Like, they give out music awards, and the people giving them out are like, and the best award for pop single goes to Snooki. Oh, wait. Hold on. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny. And worth noting that Hall has one child whose name is Darren Hall. Because that's not confusing. That would be like, I'm going to name my kid Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> I would so talk you out of that. I'd be like, please undo the harm you've done, Steve. Well, nobody talked Daryl out of having a kid named Darren, so where were you for him? I'm gonna name him Carol. Oh man, that's hilarious. Sarah <laughs> yeah. and Carol, perfect. I like it. So yeah, all sorts of like side projects and all this fun stuff, but then Oats. Yeah, he just released a solo album in 2002, which was right between their last real album and Christmas Hurrah. And although it had a cool name, yeah, he had a bunch of soul albums actually. He had Feng Shui, uh, Feng Shui, <laughs> Feng Shui. yeah, A Thousand Miles of Life, Mississippi Mile, Good Road to Fellow, and an album called Arkansas. What Jesus, what is going on? I've never seen an artist's solo album's name age more than I'm looking at right now. <laughs> 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 Look at the last three, Kara. It's like, all right, here's a Mississippi Mile. Now we found a good road to follow, and somehow we ended up good old Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, a group from Philly starts talking about the South. Yeah. I was just going to say, this is their gospel album. That so. <laughs> sounds, yeah, Arkansas definitely sounds like it's got a little bit of a, of a oh Lord vibe. So he, he wrote a memoir, apparently. Man, well, how have I not read this? Like, Think about it. John Oates' memoir has got to be pretty slick. I mean, first of all, it's going to involve silk sheets, not wearing <laughs> underwear, <laughs> fancy belts. There's a lot there. <laughs> a lot to choose from. I mean, that's a very strong sunglass game. I feel like, you know, there's definitely like a fashion vibe. You're right. They did wear sunglasses all the time. Like, I wonder if that ever tripped them up. Like, if they ever like got on stage and like fumbled over their keyboard because of the mix of no. you know i don't think so. they're too slick for that 
well, Steve, why don't you run through all their accolades? Okay. Well, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014, which was the year I got to attend the induction ceremony. Jealous. So I saw these guys up on stage. Um, it was Questlove who gave a little speech before they were inducted, and he said something like, Hollow notes will cure any known ailment. <laughs> it's kind of true. It doesn't matter what your problem is. You just listen to a little bit of hollow notes and everything is cool. That's so true. So then after their induction, you know, everybody has a chance to play a few songs up on stage. And they were about 30 seconds into their first song. And all of a sudden, Daryl Hall is like, nope, nope, nope. Cut everything. Stop, stop, stop. I can't hear myself on my monitor. Let's start from scratch. Like, and he was such a prima donna about it that, yeah, that's why I think he's got the bigger ego. I mean, I get it. You're, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You want it to come out perfect. Like, it's going to be recorded for eternity. Yeah. So he wants to sound good, but just, I don't know, the way that he did it seemed really douchey to me. He just, like, in the middle of the song, just cut, stop, start all over. Yeah, I don't really interpret that as douchey. Claire's <laughs> <laughs> like, it's fitting. <laughs> I think it was his attitude, like the way that he just. Because he probably talked to this. He probably talked to whoever the sound guy was. I'll, I'll give you this little tidbit. If I had a nickel for every rock documentary that talks about how much rock bands hate playing for TV, they fucking hate it. Mm-hmm. Nothing's ever, yeah. nothing ever is ever positioned for them to hear themselves right. It's always about what's being pumped into the TV, and so it's like it's never really a hot or live environment. And so the only thing I could imagine is that the sound guy was not his usual sound guy. His usual sound guy probably really, how are you? Are you good? Darl, is everything okay? You getting the check? Click, click. I bet you they just jumped on. It's like, figure it out. Guy's like, oh yeah, whoops, forgot to turn this knob. And like, <laughs> he's just like, I'm done. No, stop. But for the person in the audience that had to suck, and I'm sure it threw you off a little bit, um, but their music came through in the end. So what was the first song they played? Do you remember? No, I was trying to remember, but I couldn't. That's okay. Remember. I'm sure we could figure it out. But anyways, did they rock? Oh, yeah. They can't not rock. It's Hall & Oates. That's so funny. I've seen video of this, Steve. I've seen video of all the people like dancing around the tables, and it's very strange because usually in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions, I mean, it can be like a really rocking band, and people are not standing up going nuts. They're kind of just a very, formal, very affair. formal affair. And with them, it's like, nope. Kicking my heels off, like seriously, ladies, men, babies, children, everybody was dancing in that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance. That's really awesome. At the same time, I got to see Nirvana perform live. Oh, that was a great Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction year. Oh wow, that was the year where they were headlining. That's true. Yep. That's really special. Yeah, all the members of Nirvana played, and they brought female vocalists up for every one of their songs. So Joan Jett got to play. Lord played a song. Um, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth played a song. I'm trying to think of who else. But yeah, Nirvana playing live for the first time since Cobain died. Somehow our podcast still revolves back to the 90s, Kara. No matter what, it will always <laughs> it'll find a way. I like it. No, so they received the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as well, um, which is kind of nuts. Uh, not too many people get that awesome honor. Um, and, and then Billboard magazine had Hollow Notes number 15 on their list of 100 greatest artist of all time if i could speak today and as you mentioned steve the number one duo so that's pretty slick yeah that, that's pretty high on the list i mean billboard's a pretty reputable source and to be 15 of all time that's pretty solid but did they win any grammys no steve what's up every artist we do it's like they did not get they got nominated for a thousand albums but grammys but they never won them no, they, they got nominated like five times and didn't win a single one. There are 20 years like in a row, an album a year, basically. <laughs> and none of them were Grammy-worthy. I think what Kara's trying to say is they were just trying to survive their nine-to-five. They weren't really worried about awards. <laughs> just, we're just happy to be here. <laughs> I can't believe there's not a Grammy sitting on one of their, you know, mantles somewhere. Well, time um, hold on. Time out for a second. So do do really famous rock stars like this get paid bi-weekly like the rest of us? Or do they get paid like daily? Or is it like a, do they wear like a watch where the dollar amount goes up automatically? So like, how does it work like back then? How does royalty checks work? I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm just saying that I really do think that these guys were swimming in money um, no matter what we say because their music continuously gets played. Like if you look at their plays on Spotify, it's it's up there. It's nuts. People listen to this band. 
They did win three American Music Awards for favorite band, duo, or group for three years in a row. Do they exist anymore? American Music Awards? Is that even like a thing? AMAs? Oh, okay. I don't know. Like Steve. Steve's like, Actually, Steve was watching award shows way before, way after I was. I remember when you were like, "Oh, this person won like I think it was the year that um, White Stripes won like a thousand Grammys." Was when you got me back into it. But then, like the no, year right. after, it was somebody else. And then this year, they just like gave the whole thing to Billie Eilish. I think next year she'll just host it, like singing every song. Would she win like eight, nine Grammys? Yeah, it was her year for sure. There's always like one artist per year that just sweeps. I think it should have been her year too. She just she's great. And also, I have a little place in my heart for her because she's vegan. But other than that, it's kind of easy to give it to her when everybody else is little yachty. You don't remember? We were, we were, <laughs> I, I, it was you. We were eating and I told you you were vegan. This was, <laughs> kid you not, best Kara story, guys. Kara story time. She was eating like fish or something and she's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, why are you apologizing? <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm good. It was so. It was so funny. Um, you know, that's. I probably offered it and then said I'm sorry. That's poor, right? I'm like, what's a vegan? Oh, you. Yeah, maybe you might have forgotten that I was vegan. You were like, hey, you want? Oh, it was that. Yeah, we were like sharing plates. You're like, oh, you want to try this? And I'm like, no. You're like, oh no, yeah. Wrap date. So no. But now it's time for our. Steve, kick us off. All right. Now is the time on the show where we pay homage to the legendary, epic, world-renowned, glorious Oats Stash. <laughs> so obviously all through the 70s and 80s, he was like known, they were known for this mustache. And then 1990, one night after playing in Tokyo at a John Lennon tribute concert, bam, shaves it off on the spot. He's like, you know what? Uh, I want. I need to close the door on this weird protracted adolescence and grow up. Finally, so he just got rid of it. Was that a direct quote, or you were just saying? No, that's what he said. Those are not my words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he brought it back in two thousand nine. Oh he, man, there's like a red given- for his sta- his mustache. <laughs> yeah. It's back. Plenty <laughs> of research on this. He was given. The honorary title of chairman for the American Mustache Institute. <laughs> and they had an event called the Stash Bash. <laughs> so, of course. Oh my God. What is going on? That. Bash. Who, like, how do you get invited? I don't know, but I doubt there's any women at the Stash Bash. It sounds like the biggest sausage <laughs> party on earth. I want to be at the after party. <laughs> yeah, the after party for sure. Oh, God. Uh, probably chairman for a little while too. I love that they're based out of St. Louis, like St. Louis. Yeah, I could definitely, I, I definitely uh, see the correlation between them and mustaches, um, yeah. Missouri in general. So, like ten years ago, they were going to come out with an animated TV show, and they only came out with a little trailer for it. But it's basically John Oates and his mustache as two separate characters. The mustache was voiced by by Dave Attell, which is hilarious. And it starts out like it's a it's a snowy night. He's hanging out in the cabin, drinking some whiskey, and you hear him talking in the other room. It doesn't really give away anything yet, and it sounds like he's talking to his old bandmate about when times were great and you know everything that they did when they were younger. And then the the other guy is like, "Hey, man, we should get back together." And then it zooms in, and you realize he's talking to his mustache. Hold on, they're both like Steve. Describe this. Is this mustache like his like a mustache size mustache, or is this like a like a really huge super tuned size mustache. No, it's a mustache size mustache. Oh, that's and so creepy. On his face, and you can see him like racing down the street. And the mustache is like hanging onto his lip, like trying to trying to hold on. Okay, like that's not. I was picturing like a mustache that had like legs and arms. Yeah, me too. And, like, I was picturing yeah. like I was picturing like like one of the Mister like one of the the California raisins, but sideways. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like the show Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah, the one with all the the big, what are they like fast food amenities? <laughs> and meathead and uh, fry guy. I don't know. There's a soft drink that talks. He's got an attitude. That's what I picture too, though. Funny enough, that's exactly what I was picturing. I was picturing this mustache was like bullying him around, like let me get on your face. 
they just go around as superheroes and the mustache is his own character it's how do we rally to bring that back <laughs> like i want to like get that into production right now yeah well nothing's getting into production right now <laughs> covid jokes yay <laughs> hey, anyone can draw this up and and voice it over. And then apparently Daryl Hall restores and preserves historic homes in both United States here in the good old US of A and in England. Um, he actually oh. hosted his own 2014 television show called Daryl's Restoration Overhaul. I see what you did there. Ah, <laughs> you see that? Overhaul. Guys, I'm blown away by this information. As you both know, I hope you know, I am a major design enthusiast. And I had no clue. Daryl Hall's your man then. Yeah, he just like picks up houses and moves them. Yeah, the fact that you didn't know that, I think you're in the majority of the United States population because it sounds like it had (laughs) one good year. (laughs) I just, you know what, though? I really, I got to do a deep dive of my own into Daryl Hall. Like, is he single? How old is he? Where is he? Does he have a small dog? Does he bring it with him everywhere? How do I run into him? I got to go. Where do I got to go? Hudson Valley? I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Apparently homes that fall under his uh, tutelage here of the 18th century Bray house, which is in Kittery point, Maine. You've got a uh, Georgian style house in London, England that was first built in 1740, which has direct waterfront access to the river Thames, which is really amazing. I wonder how much that house costs. And he really liked these houses from the 1700s. He, he bought two houses in Connecticut and then moved them to a property in New York. Like, how do you move a house from from Connecticut to New York? He did it twice. I've seen it. It's wild. I don't know. They moved uh, they moved mills from you know Europe to America, so something like that. Sounds it sounds like they probably did some of it piece by piece or in chunks. Speaking of which, let's talk about the fact that. These old houses are super dangerous. When, when we moved up to Cleveland and we were like looking at houses before we moved up, we went to one house and I loved it. It was super dark. It was kind of like off the edge of the road going down. It had a separate two-car garage and it was like really cool, stoic-looking house. We walked in. The thing had trap doors everywhere. Like you lifted a cushion and it was like trap door. You like went by the stairs. You're like trap door. And we're like, okay, we have a two-year-old so we could get in this house and die or we could live somewhere that was made this last century. Um, these houses are really, really uh, – tough and i anytime i think about people restoring them i feel like man that takes a lot of care and so if anything we know daryl hall is a very careful man which explains why he's so good on the piano he has very gentle hands i would literally cut off my arm to have a house with a trap door so yeah Yeah, it does make it sound like batman (laughs) it would be kind of cool to just isn't the apartment now 1700s say we'll say that again it is. Our apartment is from the 1700s. Really? I currently live in George Washington's old office. Really? That's amazing. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but, I- but legend has it. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you look at the brick wall behind you and like the rafters and the ceiling, it looks like it's... Yeah, that's where his desk was. Kara, do you have those oh. candles on to make the spirits go away? <laughs> no, I, ha- I make them come in. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Um, yeah and he also has his home in charleston south carolina which is a beautiful place guys i love charleston i love like uh as you keep going east hilton head like just that part of south carolina i mean it's riddled with the history of you know uh horrible racism and segregation and and all that stuff but you also realize that we grew up in a town called plantation so oh yeah they've been trying to change the name (laughs) Um, actually, um, right before quarantine hit, I was in, um, South Carolina. I was in Columbia. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the capital. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I was actually very cool. And I was there for, I was interviewing Metallica, which is really weird. Yeah. And extremely unqualified for that as well, because I don't know shit about them, but we had a great interview and it was really fun. Now I know a lot of things about them though. But yeah, and the South Carolina, the Columbia Art Museum was the coolest art museum I've been to in a long time. Wow. Little, you know, tidbit about what kind of stuff do they have in there, Kara? Take, take us down a deep path. Well, they had Kirk Hammett had actually um, donated his collection of um, 1930s 
like horror film posters. What? And it's it, sick. That was sick. The the collection was called It's Alive. And it was like all these nice. like really Yeah, it was crazy. He had the original prop axe from The Shining. Are you what? kidding? I was freaking out. That's amazing. Just original posters like from the 30s from like you know, movies that like, I, I can't remember the genre right now, but like, you, you know, they really like glorified, like, you know, went like helpless women and yeah. You know, like kind of pulp fiction. It sounds like maybe just like that kind of weird horror genre. Like I go and all, you know, that kind of whole thing. That's amazing though. I really, uh, now I got to go check it out because when we drive down to Florida from Cleveland, we, we sometimes go through Atlanta to stay with family but then realize we don't need that much Jesus. So then we go to South Carolina instead, stay a couple days and then drive down. <laughs> and it's a much better time. You guys have to check it out because you'll love it. It's cool. We're big fans. We're big fans here in the house. Well, you seem to have a history of meeting famous rock stars. If you're talking about Metallica, I think uh, my most favorite rock fact of the day is that you actually met Daryl Hall. I did. It's a true story. Um, I little context to, uh, the only reason why I think I was invited uh, to this podcast today is <laughs> where it all started. <laughs> where it all started. So, okay, my so my dad owned a um, like a catering company back in the day, a million zillion years ago, and he used to cater like rock, like all the concert halls, so like Madison Square Garden, the Coliseum. Uh, uh, can't remember the one in New Jersey, uh, Roseland. I don't know, whatever, a whole bunch. And I was like 11, 12 years old. So he would get like the, the riders that the, um, the bands would send, which was like everything that they wanted in their dressing rooms. And that was like my parents' job to like fill their dressing rooms. Your dad's like, wow, I'm going to have to really stock up on maraschino cherries for these guys. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I actually asked him I was like, hey, do you remember what Paul and Oates wanted for, uh, in their dressing room? He's like, is this a joke? <laughs> I love your dad already. <laughs> and then he proceeded to, like, not talk to me. So, um, so the answer is no. But, um, <laughs> so basically, I would, I was, like, the free labor as a, as a kid. Mm-hmm. So they would be like, yeah, you got to come and, like, learn, like, you know, life skills and, uh, backstage and like help us set case is another great depression Kara. you can really get to work (laughs) (laughs) yeah really a lot of like you know lifelong skills from that so when i was there my dad was like oh my god you're gonna meet hall and oats tonight this is like the greatest night i was like who the hell are hall and oats (laughs) (laughs) you're 12 years old you don't care i want to go with janet jackson and like mariah carey and he was like yeah Shut up and like put the gummy bears in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> At like one of like the drink stations, Carol Hall was there. It's the second podcast in a row. Steve has food that was someone says. Last week I said, "What did I say last week?" I forgot what it was. I was like, "Yeah, you know, it's kind of like eating a yeah, yeah." I was like, "Yo, some really random Samoans." He's like, "Oh, by the way, I'm like what the hell?" Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> I stock up once a year. Steve, does your research never time. end for these podcasts? You have like food items that are going to be brought up. <laughs> yeah, I totally knew she was going to mention gummy bears in, in Hollow Notes dressing room. Yeah, you picture Steve sitting in like a circle with all kinds of different food around him. He's like <laughs> waiting for them to be mentioned. So yeah, he was just uh, we were getting a drink at the same time, and he was like. I don't, I, he chatted me up for a minute. God knows why. I don't, I was like this old guy's talking to me. Who cares? <laughs> and then after like the show, like my dad would always like introduce us to the guys. So like I met them both. And it was nice. You know, that's really cool. Was, you could keep that memory forever. You're old enough at that point to have memories. You, you, yes, you are. And I, here's what I will say, even though I wasn't psyched about going when they started playing every song, I was like, Oh my God, that's them. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. Like I've heard that on the radio. Oh, that's that. Oh, you know, all right. Well, there's nothing being at a, you know, when you're at a concert, it doesn't really matter who it is. Kind of. I feel like you just get like that energy and you're like, it's awesome. For sure. That's how cover bands still exist. Exactly. All right. Well, right to the 
sucky song of the day. Thank you, Kara, who Kara put together this lovely gem. Um, I don't know. I might go a little sideways on this song, I, but Kara, go ahead and introduce this song. Um, well, okay. So I was tasked with what's a really bad song, which I think is a hard task. But you know, I had a visceral reaction uh, to anything really kind of sorry by the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> why in a sec? But I think I, you know, as I said before, I think the most you know, really offensive of them all is Boom Boom Pow. Because first of all, do we even really need to say anything else? <laughs> it speaks for itself. Yeah, it's really funny because for a while there, they were like, I'm a big basketball fan. For a while there, they were like owning the NBA. It was like everything was Black Eyed Peas, Halftime Show, Black Eyed Peas, the whole program. And you're like, are people really listening to this? Like, is this really what's on the radio? I think I never really understood the band because there's like 92 people in it and it's like one of them's Fergie one of, it's like I who's in this band why are you in it this song is that it's the second longest running single to stay atop the hot 100 in 2009 um which is also <laughs> only was beaten by another awful song called I Got a Feeling well, so that's also Black Eyed Peas right so so these guys are chart topping awfulness and live they're terrible i went to a live show of theirs i've never ever experienced something so awful it was at the uh where the panthers play down in florida what is that called whatever that arena is called anyways they were playing and they played they played i got a feeling and it was like nails on a chalkboard because and you're like nobody was moving it was really creepy it was like first of all i feel like you were surrounded by 12 year olds is number i kind of was i was pretty young yeah and <laughs> i also that song makes me th i worked at a catering hall in college and i was i was the bridal attendant um so that's like for another podcast uh, <laughs> for real you're gonna have to come back and explain that whole situation but in addition to weddings we also did our fair share of our not mitzvahs and this song was like literally played at every single one and you walk and it was like crazy like little 13 year old kids running around and it was a nightmare so they make what i call least common denominator music that just it it feeds the masses with just you know okay it's pulsating people will start moving definitely a dj's go-to like get the crowd up ah, five idiots will dance to this song um yeah and that's really what they're known for i will say where i can disagree on boom boom pow is that that one little part at the end with a is kind of a little Justin Timberlake-ish. I can kind of feel it until you hear, I've been dropping damn breach. Like, what is this? Like, <laughs> stupid farmer rapping crap. is a little saving grace from this song. When Fergie says, I'm, three, I'm so 3008, you so 2000 and late. I know it's cheesy as hell, but for some reason, I love that line. And I tell that people all the time. It's like, oh, you so 2000 and late, you don't even get it. You're still using that? Oh. Yeah, at work, I, I just texted somebody that the other day. <laughs> Steve, I love Steve's shamed by admitting that I've taken pieces of the song. Just put them in my everyday lexicon. Oh, yeah, it's really bad. I mean, it tries to be futuristic. The song tries to, yeah, have that whole vibe of like, it's way ahead of its time where it's like, no, it's it's right where it needs to be in this horrible, horrible section of music. Um, what year did this come out? Wow, we, we got we got that one missing on here. Was that like... Right? Yeah, like imagine how... So I'm, I grew up, like my formative years were like the 2000s, right? High school, like I, graduation was 2004. That entire decade sucked for music in general. It was kind of pretty rough other than some few rights parts. Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. Holla Back Youngin was a hit. That song is awful. Do you remember that song? Yes. Cruising Top on the Sadie's Low. Yeah, that was an actual song that people listened to. That's on next week's worst song. <laughs> right. Well, that th this is 2009, so now we've accumulated all the suck, and then now you have this gem. Yeah, great song choice, Kara. Couldn't, couldn't pick a worse song to talk about. Thank you, All right, and that's our show. Any uh, any last words? Well, yeah, I want to thank Kara for being here. You're like the best guest of ever. all time ever. You, I mean, really, <laughs> yeah, come we're on. honored. 
I had time, guys. I mean, I can't can't thank you enough. Invite me back for Billy Joel. It's you, Kara. Thank you. Thank you for jumping on. And uh, yeah, we're going to end up doing another 90s band next week. So make sure you subscribe, share, and like. And thanks for joining. Everybody, peace. Peace. Yeah.